Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back. Uh, today is a very poignant episode uh, for a couple reasons. One, because we get into some deep, heavy shit. Um, two, because uh, the person on the podcast today is somebody that I really admire, uh, that I've been a fan of for a really long time, and was one of those crazy things where I shot a shot, and the dude said yes, so what the hell? Uh, Tim Kennedy is our guest on the podcast today. If you don't know who Tim Kennedy is, uh, shit, where do we start? Tim Kennedy is a Green Beret. Uh, he has a Bronze Star. Uh, he's an Army Ranger. He is a previous UFC title contender. Fuck, man, he beat Michael Bisbing, Robbie Lawler, Hodger Gracie. You might have seen him on the History Channel. Um... He had a show called Hard to Kill. He also had a show called Hunting Hitler. He is the owner and head of Sheepdog Response. Um, just truly uh, one of the most interesting human beings on the planet. Um, I want to give a little bit of kind of a preface before we start this one. Because we get into some heavy shit and I want to give some context. And Tim does a good job of giving context kind of all on his own, but... There's just some things that I wanted to say before you guys hear this episode. Um, you know, I love this country. Um, and there's so much that I love about it. Um, and there's kind of this weird thing happening where it's almost as though... It's almost controversial to say that, that you love America. Um, because there's so many problems and areas of our country that need work. Um, and I acknowledge all those to be true. There's so much bad in our history. Um, slavery, uh, what we did to indigenous people. I'm not going to say we. Uh, what our forefathers and the early settlers did to indigenous people. I didn't do any of that. Um, these atrocities weren't done at our hands. And when we look at the history of America, I think it's important that we also... With the bad, we acknowledge the guts and the valor, the discipline, the fearlessness that built this nation. You know, from the first settlers that came here, you know, having 70% of their population wiped out to disease. Um, you know, to one guy smuggling some tobacco seeds, and boom, America was off and running. Um, the other thing that I really love about this country, and on the next, next episode we have uh, Impa Kasanganai, and his dad has one of these stories. You know, the thing about America that's so fucking rad to me is we're the only country in the world that was solely built by immigrants. From all corners of the earth. People came here from everywhere um, to follow their dream. And they did that because of the beautiful structure that the Constitution laid out, which gave people the freedom to chase those dreams. Um, you know, from all corners of the earth, people came here with nothing to follow a dream with no hope other than making generational wealth, safety, and security. And while there are some fucked up parts of our history, I believe that the heart of everyday Americans uh, and the vast majority of us, we just want that safety, security, uh, and generational safety, and well-being, and wealth, and I think that we are the most progressive, no, I know that we are the most progressive nation in history, because I'm a huge history buff. Uh, nobody's done it like us, um, and much like we can celebrate the life of Bob Marley, and fully well know that he was a total womanizer and was dishonest with every woman in his life and had eight children by, you know, or I think 11 kids by eight women. That could be wrong. Lots of kids by lots of different women. You know, and we celebrate Tupac, even though he was a convicted rapist. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know. He got convicted for it, but we can still celebrate the good and genius of his poetry. Um... And Dr. King, same thing. You know, we celebrate the genius of the man, um, but he had his issues too, if you know his story. Uh, you know, he wasn't awesome. 
to his family and his wife either. But we can still celebrate the good um, and take the bad and say, yeah, nobody's perfect, but they were working on it. And I, that's what I think of when I see America is we're not perfect, but we're fucking working on it. And um, it's not without our faults. Um, but when I see this country, I see the most industrious, progressive, diverse nation on the planet. And again, we were built by the hands of people from every corner of the earth that came here with work ethic and hope and made a way. And, you know, all of us have those stories. If you go back far enough, you ain't from here, but you're the generations before you came here because the constitution of the United States laid out a framework that if you came here with a work ethic and some balls, you could make a way. And, um, that's all I got to say about that. Um, without further ado, here's Mr. Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. Hey. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe you said yes. I'm really, really grateful that you agreed to talk to me. My pleasure. And you have an American flag behind you, so we're, we're, we're already off to a good start. Yeah, man. Uh, I would usually be in my office, but they closed my... Uh, where there's also one of those, but they closed my uh, kid's daycare. One of his teachers tested positive, so he's home for two weeks now. Oh. Yep. Um, well, dude, um, I feel like you and I could talk about a whole gang of stuff. Um, you know, I'm really attracted to um, people's stories like yours because I'm a big proponent of living life um, and not spectating it, and I'm a big fan of uh, intentional discomfort and uh, discipline and you're yeah. a really great example of that but um, I really want to get your take on a bunch of current events but let's start by just kind of telling everyone a little bit about yourself so they can kind of understand uh, why you think what you think all right um, so uh, right out of high school I went to the fire academy and to EMT school and became a firefighter EMT and uh, I did that for three years until I was old enough to go to the police academy. Um, while I was a firefighter and a police officer, I was uh, finished my undergrad and started grad school. And then when I was 21 years old, 9-11 happened. And I enlisted in the army as a Green Beret. While I was in college and a uh, firefighter, a police officer, and now um, a Green Beret. I was fighting professionally as a mixed martial arts fighter. Um, I fought for a variety of organizations, the WC, the IFL, Strike Force, and then ultimately for the UFC. Um, I fought for a couple of world titles, ranked you know top two in the world. And um, during my time in special forces which has been 16 years now i'm still in and i'm still a green beret uh went to you know special forces sniper school to ranger school to iraq to afghanistan to africa um all over south america in a variety of different roles from advisors counter human trafficking um obviously counterterrorism. went to war part of the task force that kills our um then I started doing television while I was still fighting, and um, it's not real television because it was kind of reality. Uh, I would go and hunt Nazis all over South America, um, and uh, then I ultimately had my own show on Discovery Channel called Hard to Kill, where I would go and do the hardest jobs in the world, and we would recreate the hardest day of those jobs and see if I survived that day. <laughs> Dude, you're an animal um so one thing that is really interesting is you know it being september i was thinking back um a lot about especially with the election coming up right now i've been thinking a lot about uh post 9 11 and kind of how the country was as i'm sure everyone was you were obviously so moved that you joined the service um and there used to be kind of um like whether you were a Bush supporter or a Kerry supporter or uh, pro-war in Iraq, anti-war in Iraq, there was still this like civility, right? You weren't going to throw rocks at someone that didn't, uh, you know, 
vote for the same candidate as you. What do you think? What do you think has got us to this place where we are like, I just, I feel like civility is lost. Like even in, I live in a small little mountain town of 2,500 people and it's gotten so ridiculous that Democrats and Trump supporters are like trying to turn their businesses against each other and like sending mass emails to people like, yo, this guy is a Democrat, so don't shop at his store. This guy is a Trump supporter, so, you know, don't get coffee yeah. there. Yeah, um, I, I think we have done it to ourselves for a few reasons. Um, but the, the, the shift, which I think I can explain, um, ultimately, regardless of what race, what gender, or what political party you were part of, you were an American first, and then all of those things were second. Um, we might have different views of what America should look like or how we could you know, continue to progress as a country, economically, uh, socially. But you first were an American, and we'd, we'd try to um, find a middle ground for us to be able to civilly co converse. Um, what, what I think has happened is we have, with social media and the way that the United States is laid out, uh, both economically, um, I mean, literally laid out, and, and we are congregating towards other like-minded people. Um, you know, the urban areas are getting more blue and rural areas are getting more red. Um, you know, your social media, for example, is if you are conservative, I, I doubt you follow more than two or three um, opposing viewpoints. You know, the, the vast majority is going to be an echo chamber of your own ideas. And then you're living in an area that is predominantly surrounded by people that are like you. You probably have a job that is um, going to support your views, and you're going to be mostly surrounded by people that are similar in, in their ideas. So you get further and further away from any other different viewpoint, any other perspective. You are now just living in this this echo chamber of your own of your own ideas, and it just further reinforces which may not be an, a, a true perspective, just your perspective. And, um, you know, when, if like war is a crazy thing, uh, I'm, I'm writing a book right now and I will be writing about a, a, a moment in a gunfight, for example. And I remember it so vividly. I mean, so crystal clear. I remember every single detail as it was in slow motion like the freckles on my friend's face when I saw the bullets start ripping through the door. And, and I, I write everything down in, in pretty what I think is incredible detail. And then I go back to my, fr my friend that was there and I tell him this and he reads it and he goes, that's not what happened. What do you mean that's not what happened? This is absolutely what happened moment by moment in chronological order, play by play, every single thing. And he's like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, for eight years, I, I, I was under the impression that I heard a bunch of women and children by throwing a grenade through a window that there was a machine gun shooting out, shooting at us out of, um, well, my buddy was on a 50 cal and he saw that same machine gun out of a window and he started ripping into that building where that machine gun was. Well, I threw a grenade in there and he shot in there his for the past eight years. He thought he hurt all those women and children. Truth be told, we both did. Right? There, was, there was a terrorist that had bunkered himself with you know, human shields, uh, but the whole entire time, he never threw a, knew I threw a grenade. I never knew that he was throw, shooting 50 cal rounds in there. So our perspectives were vastly different about what happened in that moment on that day. So we were both right, and we were both wrong. You know, like I, I've been living with guilt, and he's been living with guilt, and, um, but that goes for everything. Like your perspective, just because it's your perspective doesn't mean that it's true. But now we're living in a time where you surround yourself only with things that support your own perspective. And this, uh, I mean, I think it creates insanity. I think people have completely yeah. lost their minds. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think 
I just, uh, you know, if we, if, as we've seen in these cities, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of protest. Uh, I, well, I'm a big fan of the first amendment. I think it's, uh, you know, I think there's a reason why when drafting the Constitution that they threw that bad boy at the top. Um, but I try to get myself in the in the processes. I'm kind of a hothead in general. Um, and I try to get myself in the process that would make me go to a protest and then be like, okay, cool, let's set this car on fire. Um, yeah. And I just, and, and maybe it is, you know, um, as a martial artist, one thing that I'm sure you can attest to too, uh, when you are involved in MMA, especially jujitsu, you see cops and criminals become friends. You see, you know, people from all walks of life, mm -hmm. there's like this common ground. So I guess I, 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 I kind of, um, I, I just can't really grasp the, the route to that level of extremism that can make someone have the perception that goes, okay, well, this is wrong. And then go to, the kind of madness that we're seeing, you know, like. Yeah, well, the human nature and through history, we've seen this same process happen time and time again. You know, it wasn't like Adolf Hitler in 1937 was like, hey, everybody, let's go find all of the Jews and put them all together and then put them on a train and then we're gonna go gas and burn them. How does that sound? You know, Europe of 1937. No, like there was this emotional response, and then with it, there's planted seeds of discontent, and then with it was came anger, and now you have passion, anger, discontent, and now you start fueling this fire and and separating yourself and isolating yourself. So Germany specifically, they're caught up in this wave of passion, and all of these Germans, like I think there's no way that all of Germany was insane to think that genocide of a race was a good plan but yet they allowed it to happen because they were carried away inch by inch moment by moment and living in complete isolation from the rest of the world where the echo chamber of these ideas seemed like well man the chancellor's saying it and then like all of his generals are saying it and then like he has a bunch of scientists that are saying it man this is a great idea right and then you can like go to Mao and you can go to Lenin and you've got like time and time again, you can look at this exact same thing happening where you have crazy fucking ideas and you put it in isolation and it sounds like a great idea, right? The only good thing that comes out of isolation are Unabombers. Right. So, <laughs> I'm in Montana. You, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know anyone else that is going to vote for the opposing party, there's probably not a problem with the other party. There's probably a problem with you. You know, yeah. go find some more friends. Yeah, well, I think that's a really interesting thing, too. I'm a huge history guy, and it's so funny, man. Like, I don't have the attention span to watch, you know, an episode of a sitcom, but I can watch a Ken's Burn, Ken Burns series from front to back, no problem. Um, wow. And I also went to school for American history. And I think there's this weird um, anti-American attitude that's kind of taken hold where people don't it's not it's not weird it's strategic and it has been purposefully planted but speak go to on that okay well yeah i want you to speak to that but um i think so much of it um is there is this focus on all of the negative right like when i i just re-went through the american revolution um i i do this every couple of years i start back uh, at the first settlers and, and go through American history. Anywho, when I think of the courage and the balls that it took uh, for everyone that was settled here to be like, no, dude, we're fighting England. And then to just get their asses handed to them the first five rounds of the fight and not be like, all right, fuck it, guys, let's just pay these taxes. But wow. to keep going. And the rebuttal is like, yeah, but some of them had slaves. It's like, well, fuck, dude, everyone had slaves then. And that was terrible. But you know, I think there's just this lack of knowledge of American history. So like, as you're saying in Germany, if you're not super familiar with how Hitler systematically convinced everyone, yeah, like you said, he didn't just show up one day. It was like, guys, it's the Jews. We got to get rid of them. Um, but speak to what you just, just were, were saying there. So, I mean, in, in the late sixties and early seventies, there, there were a bunch of communists that defected. Um, KGB communists specifically. So they, they were like the CIA, CIA of the Russian intelligence. And when they came over, 
a few of them uh, in, in the mid-70s laid out the strategic plan, which was a 30 to 40-year plan of how they were going to break down American culture. And you know, from, from Lenin to Marxism to socialism, you, you, you can't break down a system unless you can show that the system is bad, right? You need the people to be like, yeah, this is bad. Like we don't want to be part of something that is systematically horrible, right? Systematic racism, not only does it exist now, but it has existed from the beginning, from the genesis of this country. And that's just not true. Absolutely, like maybe that is our greatest sin that we weren't able to fix it immediately, but we fixed it pretty freaking fast. And we have been, you know, when you read our founding documents, all men are created equal, right? And every single one of these things, and at the time they were not treated equal, but they were created equal. And from that moment on, we have been trying, we have been persevering with absolute complete vigilance to. Make sure that those founding documents, that the vision and the dream that existed in them can come to fruition. Were we perfect in 1940? No, but we were better than in 1890, right? Were we perfect in, in 1960? No, blacks couldn't even vote, right? Like, hell, 20 years before that, we got women to vote. But we're still going the right direction. And then 1990, everybody's voting, but not everything's fair. Right, so now we're like, okay, how do we fix this? How do we get fair for everyone? You know, like, are people starting at a detriment? How do, how do we how how can we even the playing field? So so then we do that, but at some point we have to realize that I, I I'm passionately against any any form of entitlement whatsoever because I I think it negatively incentivizes somebody to not reach their full potential. If I have a bunch of soldiers, if I have ten soldiers. And I go, okay, you two soldiers over there, you don't have to try as hard, even though you made it, maybe had a harder time getting here. But now you only need to score 8 out of 10. They're only going to score 8 out of 10. They're never – even though they're perfectly capable of you know, scoring 100% and getting 10 out of 10, but they don't have to anymore. And by moving that bar lower, I have then not – I mean not only have I insulted their capability – and devalued who they are as individuals, but now they're never going to reach what they could have reached, which is the struggle of this beautiful thing and the realization that those founding documents, our entire existence from you know 1776 to today has, the goal has been to reach the dream of those documents. Yeah, I think I think what's tough again is that there is, um, and and maybe it is just a you know a product of technology and um, and the glamorization of wealth, but there is this kind of underlying sense of entitlement um, that makes people angry. Like it's always kind of thrown in their face what others have. So there's all this built up anger of. Um, well, I don't have that, and he got that because of this, or she got that because of this. And there's been this disconnect from, from hard work, and, and not just hard work, but the process of hard work, and that like getting the world isn't mean anything if you didn't soak up all of the knowledge on the way there. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's really interesting when I think about, um, like you're talking about not talking to people different from you. When you were just on Rogan recently, I previous to that, and I'm a pretty centrist. I always joke that I'm a liberalitarian. You know, when it comes to like social issues, I'm real liberal. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm like, man, you got to till your own field. Um, but I was always kind of staunch of like, well, man, we could reallocate military spending and we could put it over here and do all these different things with it. But then you hear a green beret go, okay, well, here's what happens when that money gets taken away. And um, as someone that does pay attention to the going ons of the world, I had never thought about that of like, yeah, dude, ISIS and these terrorist organization were hiding in the hills with their tails between their legs. And then when Obama changed the funding, boom, wouldn't you know it? They've taken over here, they've taken over here, and now they're in uh, Africa. And now Boko Haram is magically ISIS. And, um, and I had never even thought about that. 
I just was like, oh, I guess they're they're doing work over there. Um, so with your your background in military, what is your take on? Fuck, I don't even like saying it, but this this call of extremism that is almost begging for a civil war. You have people on the far right that are obviously ready to roll. Um, uh, so it's really cool that we have a naive, ignorant country that thinks they understand what a civil war is. Um, it's been a really long time since we had a civil war. And um, brother against brother, family against family, cousins against cousins. Thank God we don't have a geographic line that we could separate this country by our political affiliation. Um, I've, I've been and fought in civil wars all over the world. Um, you know, you could even argue at the beginning of the Afghan, Afghanistan war was more similar to a civil war than it was a traditional um, counterinsurgency. Because we, we were really fighting by, with, and through the Afghanis, trying to let the Afghanis fight for their own freedom. And all over Africa, in numerous places, I've been there for coups, and I've been there for revolutions um, and civil wars. They're horrific. You know, where you have a group that's like, you know what, we're going to come in to this village and chop the breasts off all the women so they can't nurse their children, and they starve to death. So we get, you know, two for one. And, uh, but then all the other villages hear of how horrible that was as little babies starved to death and the women are holding their babies, but have no way to feed them. So they just hold their dying child. Um, it's pathetic that we can't sit down and talk, right? Like we're talking about civil war when it's like point, I wouldn't even say 1% are these extreme you know, like, how do you know any Antifa guys? Never met one in my no. life. No, neither do I. Um, and I know a lot of people. Like, do you know any are alt-right um, white supremacists? No. Yeah, neither do I. And you um, live in Texas I and I live in Montana. <laughs> right? Like the two yeah. places that supposedly are like hotbeds for them. Yeah. Um, so, so, like, it is such a fringe outlier. But – Everybody wants to talk about them. Everybody wants it to be a question specifically in a debate. Everything, every mainstream media wants to point at a Hawaiian shirt wearing body arm, body armor wearing gun toting dude and you know, somebody holding a Molotov cocktail when really it is a delusional, far outlined segment of society. Um, and we can call crazy crazy. Yep. Uh, I, I, I am with you. I fully support protesting. I think it's beautiful. I love that it's written to the Constitution. And anything that's written in there, you know I'm going to love. Um, but it says peaceful protesting. I will mm -hmm. not use the word protest the moment that you set something on fire. I will not use the word protest the moment you throw a brick, a rock, um, a can of soup. I don't care what it is. The moment it goes from peaceful to unpeaceful, it is no longer a protest. And unless you want to deal with me or men like me, you have to follow the intent of those documents was to peacefully protest and um, and call crazy crazy. Like yep. When you see crazy, like one of the most frustrating parts um, last night was I wanted to hear Joe Biden say Antifa's crazy. They're a bunch of terrorists. Mm -hmm. I wanted Donald Trump to sit there and say, do you know what? White supremacists are crazy. I don't support them. Can you two bitches just do that? You know, no, that no, too dude. Much? Well, they might lose Apparently a thousand votes apiece. Much. Yeah, they might lose a thousand votes apiece. I, uh, I actually missed the debates. We had, um, it was either you go to jujitsu. Yeah, that's what I heard. It was either go to jujitsu yeah. or uh, miss the debates. And I went to jujitsu and I got my purple belt last night. So I'm really glad I went to. Congratulations! Thanks, man. That yeah. was a wise decision. Wise yeah, decision. <laughs> yeah, I felt good about the choice. Well, let me ask you this, man. How do you think? Um, guys like Joe Biden and Donald Trump have found themselves in positions of leadership. Because this, this is always the biggest debacle for me is um, how you and I began talking was I um, was constantly being berated by people because I would say something like, 
Um, you know, like I'm a big fan of Ben Shapiro. Does he say dumb shit sometimes? Sure, but I think he's a really intelligent guy. Um, and then I also will listen to uh, uh, what's his name from the Young Turks. You know, I try to bounce back and forth and just get different takes. Uh, and and ultimately, I'm looking for truth, not opinion. Yeah. You know. Um, and people were like, so who do you support then? Blah, blah, blah. So I made a post on Instagram saying that I thought that you and Jocko should, should run. And, uh, <laughs> you told me that was a bad idea. Um, but how do you think guys like this rather than men like yourself or people with, cause the joke that I keep making is it's like, man, if only America had some sort of system set up where you had to endure hardship and they figured out who could lead well under stress. And then you were promoted, uh, by how well you uh, were a leader. I'm like, fuck, we have generals, admirals, captains. Like, where are these guys and how come they're not running the country? How did we end up with uh, a guy whose brain is melting and a reality TV star? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think, so for recruiting, you know, the first thing that we do, we try to recruit the best initial population. So we're looking for the, the best and the brightest. And politics, the best and the brightest have zero interest in going into politics, right? The best, and the, the best and the brightest, they're entrepreneurs. They're going and starting their own companies. They're supporting nonprofits that they can control and do the right thing. Um, and so right from the get-go, guys like Jocko are like, I'm not, I'm not, I have zero interest in going into politics because it's – a horrible cesspool, of, you know, it's a petri dish of the worst diseases on the planet, greed, power, and I, I want nothing to do with that. So like, how do you get, so the first problem is the population. You can't find the right guys that want to go into it because they have no interest in it. Then the system itself, the political system that we have, um, it incentivizes people of malleable character great way to say that to, they um they'll 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 cower they'll bend and they'll cave to the will of a census they'll make amends um where they thought they're going to be doing the right thing but then oh you can only do the right thing if you also agree to this other thing that's the only way i'm going to get a vote so then what was your integrity and your ethics and your morals? You're like, ah, well, I'm going to do the, I'm going to try to do the great, like the, the better of these bad options. And then it was like the greater good. And then it goes from the greater good to the best of bad options. And then you're left with what we have. Um, I think we, as a society, we have to demand better. Like the DNC, um, Shame on them, two elections in a row yep. for absolutely ripping off what should have been their nominee. You know, shame on them for – imagine a Bernie Sanders-Tulsi Gabbard card for, for on, the de, on the DNC side. Man. Can you imagine that? Yeah, they'd win. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they would. That would be a hard thing to beat. Or imagine a, a – um, an RNC card with like uh, Dan Crenshaw and yes. Rand Paul. Yes. You know, but dude, I nope. would love it if there was a card like that where I was like, oh shit, dude, I don't even know who I'm going to vote for. Like you guys are going to really have to hash this out. <laughs> four really smart, passionate people that have been living and voting by their values most of their careers. Or we have these two guys. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I've long said um, when we look at politicians, it seems to be this very, uh, very small pipeline of born with money to a family that already has some sort of power somewhere. Usually dad is already in government, private school, private college, and now I'm going to go into politics because I have my Harvard Law degree and dad is, you know, uh, a senator here, so natural. Um, but yeah, I mean, I dis I don't agree with all of Bernie Sanders' uh, politics, but for me, the thing that made me support him is if you ask him a question now, his you could go back to 1978, 
And his response was the same then. Yeah. And it's, it was almost like that was too much for people. Like, like the fact that the DNC was like, well, I mean, he has a track record of not taking corporate interest money. So we can't really, <laughs> we can't use him. Yeah. We can't control him. Yeah. He, he might be walking down on a bridge arm in arm with some, with, you know, some black people that have been legitimately prejudicially attacked. And, um, we don't want a guy that that's passionate about truth. Right. I, I, I want that guy. Give me that yeah. guy. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, and, and then again, like you said, on the other side, a guy like Dan Crenshaw that is just like clearly has, that guy is a trip, man. But he just, uh, he says whatever he thinks and not in like a Donald Trump, I'm a shitty leader, mouth vomit kind of way. No, I, I would vote for Dan Crenshaw and Harvey. Yes. I'd never be on a ticket with him. <laughs> <laughs> You Which is for, a, for Jocko and I to be on a, a, a ballot. I'm talking. Depcon real, seven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we're, we're at a place where we were a population of 330 million. Now we're a population of like 120 million and the other entire population's dead and rotting in field somewhere. That's where you're going to see us. Last draw. So, yeah. Pray you never see us. Oh man. Well, what do you think? Um, you know, I I can't help but notice when we're talking about extremists too. Uh, you know, you made a post a while back that was oddly enough deleted, and then you just reposted it um, of some of the people that were arrested in Portland um, and how unwell they look. Um, yeah. And then on the other side of the far right, uh, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here, but um, a lot of these gun-toting people that are going to these protests are supremely overweight, and I kind of look at them and I'm like, dude, there's no way you could kill me. Like, there's no way, yeah. even with that gun, like, there's no way yeah. that you're gonna catch me, Not dude. And um, what do you think? Um, it seems like the most sensible people that I know tend to be real healthy, and that health is like at the the you know the forefront of their life. Yeah, we're humans. And for a human to function properly, we have to have these very, very basic fundamental pillars, these cornerstones. So our, so us being humans work well, right? We have to like have good nutrition. We have to exercise. You have to sleep and then you have to recover. You know, that's like sex and um, your soul, whatever your religion is, you know, I love them all. Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, I don't care. You know, like whatever fixes you inside of here. And um, when you look at these these kind of far extremist groups, like they're missing two out of the four. Easy. You yeah. know, you're like, bro, you've got to get off the Cheetos and beer. That's not going to help you. And then you like – you look over – so that's that's probably – oh, I think that the post – so Instagram pulled it down. I never got notified for it. That post had 10 million reach. I had a hundred thousand likes, and all I did was make observations about the physical appearance. Yeah, it wasn't even from, mean. It wasn't even from, mean. So um, they said I was bullying. They pulled the post the post down for bullying, hmm. and it was absolutely accurate observations from mugshot photos of felons. <laughs> Anyways, um, so. And then on the other side, you're like, you haven't been out of your basement in a long time. You need to stop drinking Red Bulls, playing video games, and you need to put your phone down so you don't get on Twitter anymore for the rest of your life. And, uh, and like those are the people that are out there starting fires, throwing Molotov cocktails, putting on airsoft body armor and thinking that they're tough guys. Um, you don't see anybody like you, healthy, normal, natural, happy, that's just like, hey, what? Cool. Life's pretty good. Now they're all miserable people. I feel, so, I feel sorry for them. First of all, like I want to go hug them and be like, Hey, life's not that bad. Let's go for a walk out in the sun. Let's listen to the birds. I'm going to go buy you a healthy lunch. And then I want you to go to bed and get a full night's sleep. Tomorrow's going to be a little bit better than yesterday. And then the day after that will be a little bit better than today. And guess what? That trajectory, just wait in three months from now, 
you won't you won't even understand the the place that you were that you were in three months beforehand. Yeah, man, it's crazy. There's a there's a young man that I mentor that uh, I just kind of was having this conversation with him. He's like, man, I think I need to see a doctor and this and that. And I was like, before we do any of that, can you agree to exercise three times a week and just eat what I tell you to eat? And I, and if in three weeks you don't feel better, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. But like, let's get some regimented exercise and sunshine before we before we start pulling in pills. No, yeah, I'll just go get somebody that gives me a pill that makes me feel better. Yeah, oh, which man, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it's so wild. Uh, it's so wild that I, that our culture, like, I just I see it. It's weird because on one hand, I see that I see that you know, um, obesity is the second uh, cause of prevent, second most preventable cause of death in our country. But I'm also really surrounded by healthy people because I'm involved in the martial arts community. So I like, you know, most of the people that I uh, spend time with value health very, very much. But um, as far as that post getting pulled down, what do you think is the agenda? It, like, there are these people that are willing to, like, I agree, dude. I think the most revolutionary action we can take is like to not be a dick, to just be a kind person to everyone you encounter. Um, and we shouldn't hurt people's feelings on purpose, but there seems to be a, a movement on the far left that uh, offending people is like the absolute worst thing you could do and to mitigate people being uh, hurt feelers that we should shut down free speech. Like, what do you think is the end game there, especially when a post like yours was pulled? Because like I said, I did, it didn't come off as mean to me. It came off as... Yeah. Very observational. I, I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely wasn't trying to be mean spirited. And the first thing I said is, I feel sorry for these people, and I want to hug them. Um, you know, censorship all, all, always has the same objective, which is to silence an opposing view. And um, and the the long term. So if that's what they're trying to do, why are they trying to do it? Why are they trying to censor? Why are they trying to silence? And what the only rationale I can have is that could explain this is if you have an idea and that idea never re meets any resistance, that idea can attempt to come to fruition. You know, if, if there's never any contest, if there's ne any, never any conflict, if there's never any debate, if there's never any argument, then whatever that crazy fucking idea is, it might happen, right? If like Hitler is going to go and I want to kill all the Jews because eugenic, eugenics is a thing. Um, and that is never opposed. And it wasn't then this, what we, what we get, what, what we got is what you're going to get. So the only way that an idea can, can, can be a real possibility is for it to go through the refiner's fire of every test and every problem and every conflict and every debate. And at the end of it, like, Oh man, that's a really good idea. It stood the test of time and it stood the test of purpose and it stood the test of conflict and it stood the test of adversary. And you know, like whether you're, you're an idea or making a sword, the refiner's fire, the purpose of putting something through pain and suffering to see if it's worth its metal is a necessary, especially when it comes to national agendas and platforms. And um, I think that there are some really bad ideas out there. Mm -hmm. And I think the purpose of censorship and silencing opposing views is so that those really bad ideas don't resist, have any resistance. And that's a, that's a really dangerous precedent because we see what happens. That's a slippery like slope. <laughs> yeah, we know where it goes and we've seen yeah. it happen dozens of times. Well, you know who's a guy I always use in ex as an example? I think it was Jordan Peterson that, that first used the term thought economy, right? Is we have to put thoughts out into the world and let the free market decide. Um, mm -hmm. And you remember Richard Spencer, right? He was like the, mm -hmm. the poster boy for the alt-right. Well, all of his press wasn't coming from his speeches. It was coming from people trying to shut down his speeches. Um, you know, and people, again, breaking out fucking windows of libraries in Berkeley because they didn't want him to speak. It's like, okay, well, wouldn't you know it? 
as soon as that kind of died down and he was able to freely speak to people, where the fuck is Richard Spencer? Oh yeah, yeah, we let him talk and the thought economy determined that his ideas were shit and now he's probably back in his dad's basement drinking bourbon. Yeah, I, I, the, the idea that you want to suppress, I want stupid people to talk. I want stupid people to say stupid things. I don't want a moderator interrupting two people while they're trying to explain their economic foreign policy or even their healthcare plan. I just wanted to talk because as they're talking, I'm like, wow, that is really, really, really dumb. And that's not going to work. And we don't have $19 trillion. So do you know what? We probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. You know, like, just let, just let, just let the dumb dude talk. We'll figure out that that's a bad idea and we'll act accordingly. But instead we're like silencing, we're moderating, we're editor editorializing, we're curating conversations and that, man, that's bad. That nothing ever good comes from that. No. Well, speaking of really dumb people talking, how do you think that Donald Trump was able to, what did he do? What did he do to rally all of these people into supporting him? Because like, I don't have many conservative friends that don't support him. And I always am like, but can't you just see that he's not an intelligent guy? And they're like, well, he says what he thinks. I'm like, that is not a good characteristic of a leader. <laughs> you know, a good leader under pressure is like, okay, I could say shit's hitting the fan, but that might cause panic. So I'm not going to do that. You know, like, how do you think he got all of this support? Um, like right place at the right time was, was I think a big part when, you know, o o Obama and Biden, ISIS is on the rise, economy is failing, high unemployment rate, and then in comes this character, this charismatic reality TV star that is a billionaire that has successfully run, well, I mean, arguably run profitable <laughs> businesses. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had this New York, um, man, I, I, I hate I'm, I'm a Texan. And before that I was from kind of countryville, California. Yep. Um, so that kind of brash, uh, bravado of a new, of like a New Yorker real estate mogul, uh, is really off putting to me. Um, but I think a lot of people were like, wow, man, this guy has like energy and like, you know, like this New York charisma. And I was like, um, but I think it was just the right time. He was at the, 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 like, had the right things to say at the right time in a really dangerous point of our history. And here we are four years later and I don't, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, do in November. I don't either, man. I might still write you in. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it's crazy that this is where we've landed uh, with our choices and that it's so, the, the election is so close. Um, what, um, what are some antidotes to this, to this extremism? Like how can, how can people that don't have uh, jujitsu and uh, you know, places where they're going to interact with different people, what are, how can we, how can the average person find common ground? I think you have to force, you, you, you have to be deliberate, you have to be disciplined and you have to force yourself into going into different uh, environments and different uh, cultures. And when I say force yourself, like, I'm not talking like going to a different church. I'm not talking about like going to a different area of town to have coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm talking like going and listening to people that you would never listen to, volunteering with an organization that does not share your beliefs. Like I argue how many conservatives have gone down to um, the food shelter that is being supported by the socialist government of the urban city and served food and listened to the homeless talk about their problems. Um, none of you have, I don't care. You know, like <laughs> you haven't. Um, I'm really fortunate and I'm blessed and I'm really thankful that the military forces me to go to places 
and work with people that I would never by choice work with. Uh, I would never see their perspective and then like, man, that's, that's really rad, but I have to be here and I don't want to be here, but I value what you're trying to do here. And um, let me help you do that. And so like, I'm forced to do it, but you know, we as Americans, you're so, we're so blessed because you have the choice where you could go and do it. So the antidote is to be a healthy person and to yes. go, to go challenge. So like, if you're going to train your muscles, I'm adding stress to my muscles so that they get stronger, right? If I want to run faster, I gradually increase distance and increase speed so that ultimately my lungs get stronger, my heart gets stronger, my muscles get stronger, and I can do that same thing faster. Well, like your brain and I think your soul is really similar in that regard. Like you have to go and make it struggle. You have to put your own perspective and your own views to the test and you have to challenge them. And the only way that you can challenge your views is not to surround yourself with people that agree with you, but to go and try to understand the perspective of somebody that disagrees with you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, as I, I spent a couple months in the Himalaya climbing years ago, and it was my first time going to a third world country. And I remember walking around in Kathmandu, and it hit me the fucking lottery that I had won being born in this country. Yeah. And, and I revisit that a lot because there's this, um, I used to be very turned off by that, like love it or leave it mentality. And I, with these, when we are talking about extremists, I, I, there is this part of me that's like, you guys, there are so many communist run countries that you can go to go try it out. Like I'm sure Russia would love to have you. I'm sure Venezuela would love to have you because although again, like you said, it is, it is not perfect. I do believe that America is always working out the kinks and that free speech is at the center of that workshop. Um, yeah. as we're, as we're letting ideas, uh, accumulate and, and figuring out where society wants to go. But this idea that this isn't the greatest place that one could be born is just fucking bananas to me. Yeah. You're an idiot. You, you've never been anywhere. Yeah. And it's, and that's like a controversial thing. Like, right. As I just said that I said, man, I probably just lost a couple hundred followers, which is, <laughs> isn't that funny? I don't know how, I mean, well, first speaking the truth should never be controversial as long as the, the place that you're saying it from is not to do damage. Right. So if my wife is eight months pregnant and I'm like, Hey, you're looking kind of thick. Well, that might be the truth. Like <laughs> what, what, a, what, a, what a horrible shitty thing to say. Right. Um, and so the, the position of, okay, unless I'm trying to stop you from getting just gestational diabetes. Um, so let's, let's go for a walk right now, honey. Like figure out how to do this, but for, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. We are in, we live in, you're born in the United States. I don't care where on that socioeconomic line you were born, what color you're born. Um, what gender you were born, you hit the lottery. And if you came with me for one week and you saw the rest of the world, specifically the communist places and the fanatic run places, uh, you, you would come back with a new appreciation for America. And hopefully you'd come back with, with the zeal and a drive to want to see us reach the promise of how and why we were founded. You know, like we're not there yet. We're not perfect. Uh, we're far from it. But hell, we got the best chance at it. Well, we've gotten really attached to group identity. And when I look at the Constitution, what I see is um, a, a, a framework for the individual of here's this framework. And if you decide that you want to be great, then you are at a place that will uh, facilitate and incubate that. Yeah. But it's not a, 
the constitution wasn't written for i mean i just i I just wish people understood when people like yeah but people back then owned slaved it's like yeah well fucking people back then lived without heat and electricity and you know if a storm came and fucked up their crops then they didn't eat and they starved to death and they occasionally had to fight like a bear yeah (laughs) you know and they had to fight the largest superpower on the planet so they didn't live in absolute poverty because of overtaxation. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, yeah I used to uh more. Yeah, yeah. I used to th- I used to uh think that uh neurochemistry played a huge role in my, you know, I'm just I wake up at five thirty, I get my ass to the gym, I'm home making lunches for my kids before anyone's even out of bed. I just, and I've never been in the military, but after I quit drinking alcohol years ago, I found that if I keep this regimented individual thing, I watched my band uh, and financial success go up and it all attributes back to this individualistic approach to how can I do better than I did yesterday? Yep. And the only way that we have a chance of you know, we're at, we're at, you asked about antidotes, you asked about solutions. Um, really, unless the individual gets their shit together, unless the individual just starts taking ownership, individual responsibility of their own health, of their own finances, like you're never going to be in a position to argue about what the man is doing to you because you're too weak to have a, to stand a chance. But if we collectively, we're like, all right, we're pretty healthy. We're pretty jacked. Let's go fix this problem. It's an easy problem to fix. Yeah, I agree, man. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I really appreciate you taking time, man. My um, pleasure. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm coming down to Austin, actually, uh, to film a music video, I think, November. I'll be here. All right, yeah, I'd I'll love get, to do I'll so. get back uh, November 7th. Cool. Yeah, I was looking at uh, mid-late November. Maybe we could uh, get a roll in. Oh, we absolutely love it. We get, It's Shark Tank at my gym. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also yeah. trying to schedule a neck surgery right now for this winter at some point. So. Okay. We'll do, come... do it in December. Okay. <laughs> All right. Deal, dude. Well, I appreciate you, man. And uh, yeah. I appreciate you. And, uh, and I thank you for your service to this country. Absolutely. Stay All safe. Right. Take care, brother. Stay free. Yeah, bye. All right. I hope that you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, like he said, man, the thing that's so rad about that, I don't agree with everything he said. Um, most of it I do. Um, but some of it I don't. But I think what's cool to see is... Right There's the narrative that like all the military guys aren't against Bernie Sanders. And I, I hope you caught how honest and real Tim was. Um, you know, especially just like hearing him talk about Bernie. Um, I just, that makes me happy to know that there is, uh, you know, pro Second Amendment military dudes out there that know Bernie got fucked and uh, know that he's a good, honest human being. Anywho... Thanks again, Tim. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to how to tell you how much I appreciate it, other than saying I fucking appreciate it. Um, next week on the podcast, we have an up and coming UFC fighter who I believe undoubtedly is going to be a middleweight champion. Impa Kasanga and I, uh, and a great American story. His parents are from the Congo. His dad came here with twelve dollars in his pocket, and. Now he's in Abu Dhabi with his son, who's 3-0 in the UFC, about to be 4-0. The kid is amazing. He, uh, he's only been trained in two and a half years, three years, I think, at this point. And he's one of the most technically proficient fighters ever. He stays so safe. He's so smart. Um, and his faith is really compelling to me. He really loves God, and uh, I love that. Um, you know, I, uh, we might have different religious beliefs but his spirituality is at the forefront of his abilities and his path and i love that all right so tune in next week impokasong and i uh man i love y'all and i hope you're loving each other and not getting caught up in this bullshit division that's happening all over remember we're all in this fucking thing together and regardless of what happens in the election 
the supporters on either side ain't going anywhere. So we gotta love each other, man. That's all we can do. Be kind. It's the most revolutionary action we can take right now is be kind to one another and show some understanding. All right, I love y'all. I'll see you next week.